a little uh, mini-series here through the book of Jonah. So last week I talked about, we looked at Jonah chapter 1 and we looked at the sovereignty of God. And this week we're going to look at Jonah chapter 2 and I'm scheduled to preach two more times in uh, June. And so Lord willing we'll look at uh, Jonah 3 and 4 when we get there. Uh, and so as we come to Jonah chapter 2 this morning, before we read it, I just want to point out it's, it's quite different from the rest of the book. You know, Jonah is one of the only prophets that's mostly narrative, as we talked about last week. Uh, but there is this prayer in the second chapter, which uh, is, as you can tell just from the way it's written in your Bible, is in a poetic form. And so uh, it's a little bit different. It's, it's a prayer that Jonah utters from the belly of the great fish. And, you know, we might expect this to be a prayer of repentance, a prayer of lament, a prayer of mourning or something. But it's not, as, as surprising as it may seem. It's actually a prayer of thanksgiving. So let's look at Jonah's prayer this morning as, as we turn our attention to God's Word. Uh, Jonah chapter 2. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the root of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me, for, upon me forever. Yet you, who brought, yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's go to him once again and ask him for his help. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we do ask as we come to this text this morning that you would... Uh, speak to our hearts from it, that you would write your word on our hearts, that, uh, you would, um, that you would illuminate this passage, that you would help us to understand it. Lord, if there's anything we know about ourselves, it's that we are needy people, that we are desperate, and we are in need of your help in all things, uh, even in reading your word. So we ask this morning you would help us to read and discern what you have for us today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, I'm going to start today by talking about a movie. I know that's probably a big surprise to a lot of you guys. Like 99% of my sermons start with some kind of movie uh, reference or illustration. Uh, but today, uh, I want to talk about one of my favorite Christmas movies, uh, a movie called It's a Wonderful Life, okay? Starring the wonderful Jimmy Stewart, one of my favorite actors. Love Jimmy Stewart. Love It's a Wonderful Life. And just kind of a, you know, uh, usually I'm talking about like young movies, and so um, today I'm talking about like an older movie, so you young folks who may not be hip to uh, It's a Wonderful Life, you listen up. Uh, and so this movie begins, it's Christmas Eve, and we're introduced to a guy named George Bailey, all right? And George is in kind of a bad way. Uh, he's at the end of his rope. Everything in life has, has piled upon him. Things at home are stressful. Things with work are just falling apart. Uh, he's overwhelmed. He feels like there's no way out. Uh, perhaps you know what that feels like. Perhaps you've been there before. But we see in, the, in this movie that George is a desperate man. And, and in his desperation, um, you know, he, he, he goes to a bar, makes things worse for himself. But eventually, he, he looks to God. He utters a simple prayer to God for help. Uh, and George, he heads to a bridge and he, he turns his mind to suicide even. 
But before he can throw himself over this bridge, he, he meets his guardian angel uh, named Clarence. So this is just a little reminder. This is not a biblical movie, folks, okay? So just keep that in mind. Uh, but he, he meets Clarence, and George, as, they're, as he's talking to his guardian angel, he says, Look, you know, I just feel like, you know, I just wish I wasn't born. I just feel like things would have been so much better if I had never been born. And so Clarence shows George what the town, what life would be like, what this town would be like if he had not been born, if he did not exist. And it was terrible. Everything is, everyone is worse off. Everything is worse. It's awful without him. Uh, and George sees all of this, and it affects him very, very deeply. And my favorite part of the movie is a part where uh, after George is, is after he's kind of had this divine vision. He says, I want to go back. I want to be back in, in Bedford Falls. I want to go back. And um, all the things that he hated a few hours ago, he starts to love. Uh, he's, he's running through the streets. He's shouting, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas to everybody. You know, the best word to describe him at this moment is thankful. He's a thankful man. And so here we see a man at the lowest point of his life. He has a divine encounter. And his desperation, uh, his perspective has changed. His desperation has turned into thanksgiving. And that's the picture we have here in Jonah chapter 2. We see a man who is suicidal. I think when Jonah tells the guys, the sailors, to throw him overboard in chapter 1, Jonah thinks this is the end. This is the end of his life. He's going to die. And as Jonah himself describes here in chapter 2, he's sinking down, down, down into the water. He's a desperate man at the end of his rope. And in his desperation, he cries out to God, and God sends a surprising rescue to him. If you look back with me at Jonah 1.17, we read this, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And so Jonah appoints a great fish to swallow him, and it saves his life. And so what we see in our passage this morning is a man who has nothing else. A man who is at the lowest point of his life, both literally and figuratively. And all he has left is God. And as we listen in on what Jonah is praying and thanking God for this morning, it's a helpful reminder for us for what we always have to be thankful for. Whenever, there, whenever it feels like we've lost everything else, when there's nothing else, when you're at your lowest point, um, whenever it feels like nothing else is going for you whatsoever, if you are a child of God, you still have these things to give thanks for. And so Jonah thanks God for three things. He thanks God that God hears him, that God loves him, and that God saves him. So these are things for us to be thankful for as well. So first, we see that uh, we should be thankful that our God hears us. And so, you know, it's interesting. Thing, one interesting thing about parenting I've noticed is that, you know, whenever we're at, like, at Northeast Park for our church picnics and stuff, um, we sometimes, you know, all the parents are kind of talking under the, under the awning there, and all the kids are playing on the playground, and a kid falls down and starts to cry. And, like, there's something about parents. You hear your kid cry so much, you could, like, recognize that cry anywhere. And, you know, you don't even have to look, and you know, oh, that's Miles. I got to go. I got to go see what's happened. You know, he broke his arm again. Or something, uh, you know. You, you, there's, there's something about like it's like parent, you know, sonar or something. We pick up our kids' cry so easily, and uh, we, we just recognize it. We know it instinctively as soon as we hear our child cry. And the Bible tells us that God knows when His children cry as well. The first thing that Jonah thanks God for is that He is falling as he's, as he's falling underwater, as he's drifting further and further into the deep. He thanks God that God, He cried out to God, and God heard him. Look with me at verse two. Jonah says, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. Jonah's situation was so dire that he says, I was crying out from the belly of Sheol. Now, Sheol in the Old Testament is a, it's kind of like a, a, a reference to sort of the place of the dead. What, what we might say today is the grave. He, he's basically saying, I was calling out to you from the grave. 
and you heard me and you saved me. Now, this doesn't mean that Jonah died and was resurrected, although um, we do see that in the Bible. But what it means is that he was as good as dead when he called out to the Lord. It certainly sounds like things were bad for Jonah. Listen to how Jonah describes his situation in this prayer. In verse 3, he says, The floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. In verse 5, he says, The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds, that's seaweed. Seaweed was, were wrapped around my head, about my head. And I was at the root of the mountains. He's deep underwater. The seaweed's wrapped around his head. He's a goner as far as, he, as, far as he's concerned. And it's in the midst of all of this that Jonah cries out to God and he says, and God hears him. And that's what Jonah says. You heard me. In my distress, I cried out to you and you heard me and you answered me. And how did God answer him? Well, God saved his life. He sent a great fish to swallow him. Uh, now consider what this tells us about God's grace. That though Jonah had disobeyed, though Jonah had tried to run away from the presence of the Lord, yet when he called out to God... God heard him. God answered him. That's the gracious God that we serve. And God hears us too. When you cry out to him in the name of Jesus, in your distress, in the midst of doubts, in the midst of life's trials, when you feel you're at the end of your rope, God is there and he hears you. This is a promise all throughout the Bible. You know, one of my favorite stories in the Bible is from 1 Kings 18. This is when um, the prophet Elijah is kind of battling it all out with uh, 450 prophets of Baal. And we see in that chapter... It's on it's this, the, the confrontation on Mount Carmel. There's a contest that these guys, each the prophets build an altar to their God and put a sacrifice on it. And they're going to pray to their God. And whichever God sends down fire, that's the true God. And so the prophets of Baal, they spend all day, you know, crying out to their God, crying out to Baal, cutting themselves and trying to get Baal to, to listen to them, to, to respond to them. And, uh, you know, they, nothing happens. And, and uh, Elijah starts to tease them and say, well, maybe he's traveling. Maybe he's deep in thought. You know, maybe you should shout louder. Um, and we get to the end of that section in verse 29. Here's what it says. It says, but there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. That's what happens when we call out to a false god. But then Elijah calls out to God, his, the, the one true living God, and the answer is immediate. Fire comes down from heaven, consumes the sacrifice, and also the stones. It's obvious to everyone there that someone has heard Elijah's prayer. Someone has heard his cry and answered it. So if there is something other than Jesus that is ruling over your hearts, if there is something that you delight in more than Jesus, if there is something that gives you meaning to your life more than Jesus, that's an idol. And if you call out to that in times of trouble, it will not hear you. It won't answer you. You will be like the prophets of Baal. But God, the one true living God, He hears us and He answers us. So Jonah is thankful that God hears him. He's also thankful for God's love. Uh, so look with me at verse 8 where Jonah mentions God's love. He says, Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Here Jonah compares the worship of God with the worship of idols. Perhaps he's thinking of the sailors that he had been on the boat with um, in the chapter 1 who were calling out to their idols. Perhaps he's thinking of his fellow Israelites who were struggling with idol worship during this time. But Jonah tells us that there are only two choices in life, to worship the true and living God or to worship idols. That's it. God has created us for worship. He has designed us to be worshipers. There's, uh, and that's, who we're, that's what we're made for. There's not worshiping is not an option for us. The question is, who or what are we going to worship? And so where do these two choices lead? Well, first, notice how Jonah describes the idols. He says they're vain idols. They're useless. They're meaningless. Just like the prophets of Baal spending all day calling out to their God, it's useless. It's meaningless. It's meaningless. 
Uh, there was no point to it. But there's actually something much worse for idol worshippers in this verse. It's not just that it's meaningless, that's bad enough. But the, those who worship idols give up something. They miss out on something. And what is it? Look what Jonah says. He says, those who worship idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. And this is a huge loss because deep down, this is what we all desperately want. This is what we all desperately crave, to be loved unconditionally, to experience a love that we never have to be afraid of losing. And notice how Jonah describes this love. He says, it's steadfast. This is a steadfast love. It doesn't move. It doesn't waver. It doesn't change. It's consistent. It's ever-present. This is not like any human love. Uh, No human being has ever loved you with a love like this. Even as parents, we try to love our children unconditionally. But our love can never reach this steadfast love that God has for His people. That's what we desperately want more than anything else. You know, at our house, um, we try to do a little Bible time every night before bed. And we use this book a lot of times called uh, the Jesus Storybook Bible. And it's very good. I recommend it. Uh, but what, what this story, what this book, little children's Bible does is it goes through all the main stories of the Bible. But it seeks to connect each of those stories to the gospel in some way. And there's this phrase that is frequently used in that book. And, and when describing this kind of love, this steadfast love, the author of that book uses this phrase over and over and says that God loves us with a never-stopping, never-giving-up, unbreaking, always-and-forever love. Um, That's what steadfast means. It's never-stopping, never-giving-up, unbreaking, always-and-forever kind of love. And Jonah realizes this is the kind of love that he has, that God offers, that he has from God. Why would he ever want to run away from a love like that? That's the kind of love that we all want to have, and it's offered to us in the gospel. It's offered to us in the person and work of Jesus that Jesus, we, we see that Jesus in the gospel put on flesh and came for us so that we could experience that love firsthand by trusting and resting in Him. So in our moments of distress and trouble, this is something that should fill us with thanksgiving. Uh, God's love for us is steadfast. It's never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever kind of love. We also read about this in Romans 8 in the New Testament. Paul writes these words in Romans 8, "...who shall separate us from the love of Christ?" Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? And he goes on a few verses later to say, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That steadfast love, nothing can separate us from that. And it's ours when we rest in Jesus. And that is something for us to be thankful for. When nothing else, when we have nothing else, when we're at our lowest point, the end of our rope, when there's nothing else we feel like to be thankful for, we can be thankful for that. That, he hear, that God hears us and that He loves us. But third, we see that we can be thankful that God saves us. Finally, Jonah thanks God for one more thing in his prayer, and it's that God saved him, that God is his Savior. Look with me at verse 9. He says, But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. You know, what amazes me about this passage is that Jonah has just been through a great storm, uh, thrown into the raging sea, almost drowned, swallowed by a great fish. And this is not a prayer of lament or mourning. This is a prayer, this is not a prayer complaining about circumstances of life. It's a prayer of thanksgiving. Specifically, Jonah is thanking God for saving him with this great fish. Now, maybe I'm alone here, but I've always, when I was reading this story growing up, I always thought that the great, the being in the stinking belly of a great fish, I thought that was like a punishment. 
But what we actually see here in reality is that it was Jonah's salvation. Not only does it save him from drowning, but it's in the belly of this great fish that Jonah seems to have a shift in his perspective. It's here that Jonah really understands who God is. He's a savior. Salvation belongs to him. And now Jonah is prepared to obey God, to go to Nineveh, as we'll see, Lord willing, next time in chapter 3. Because salvation belongs to the Lord. Uh, Jonah is just an instrument. And so who is he to say no to God when salvation belongs to him? Now let's just state the obvious here. Jonah is not, uh, it does not always look uh, like a great guy in this book, okay? He disobeys God. He tries to run away. We'll see after, after he goes to preach in Nineveh, um, he pouts in chapter 4. We'll look at that later. We see really that Jonah's a complex character with ups and downs like you and me. But here in chapter 2, at the lowest point of his life, we see that Jonah is an admirable guy. He's humble. He's thankful. He's thanking God, his Savior, and pointing us to the great salvation which belongs to the Lord. So we see here that the key to thanksgiving is really humility. That Jonah didn't have anything at this point. He'd lost it all. He's helplessly sinking to a watery grave when the Lord intervenes and saves him. You see, there's nothing that kills thanksgiving quite like pride. Pride is the natural enemy of thanksgiving. And so when we've lost it all, when we have nothing to be proud of, when we're humble, when we're in our humility, uh, thanksgiving comes naturally. So let me ask you this morning. Are you a thankful person? Is pride standing in the way of your thanksgiving? Maybe you aren't thankful because you are trusting in your personality. You're trusting in your gifts or your status or your wealth. When a problem arises, you turn to those things to help rather than to God. The first step to being thankful is being humble. And humility only comes from resting in the Lord Jesus and following after Him. So in his humility, Jonah gives thanks to God for hearing Him, for loving Him, and for saving Him. And no matter what is going on in your life, no matter what trials you may be under, when it feels that you have nothing else going for you, you have the Lord. You have these things to be thankful for. And as we close this morning, I want to draw your attention to this phrase in verse 9. It's the climax of Jonah's prayer. Salvation belongs to the Lord. It's a little phrase, but it's a perfect summary for the book of Jonah. We see, Jonah, we see God saving these pagan sailors. We see God saving Jonah. We see God saving the people in Nineveh in the next chapter. Salvation belongs to the Lord. That's what this book is about. But it's also a perfect summary to the entire Bible, to the entire Christian faith, that salvation belongs to the Lord. And at the center of it all is a cross that the perfect and innocent Son of God died on for sinners like you and me. He died for sinners like you and me. He's, he is the only plan of salvation. There is no plan B. So we may find peace, rest, and hope. May we find peace, rest, and hope in Jesus this morning. Amen. Let's go to him once again in prayer. Gracious God, we thank you for, we have so much to be thankful for, for to you. But especially we thank you that you hear us, that you love us, that you save us, uh, that you care for us, that when nothing else is going for us, we have you, Lord. Help us not to look to you as a last resort, but help us to turn to you first. Help us to be thankful to you above all else. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.